1: Today's episode of Truth and Justice is sponsored in part by Stamps.com. Today's episode is also sponsored in part by Squarespace. Stay tuned through the mid-show break to hear about the special offers from both of today's sponsors. Hello everyone and welcome back to Truth and Justice. I'm your host Bob Ruff and I want to thank you all for downloading this episode. In today's episode we want to continue to get a better understanding of the justice system in the state of Texas. Next week on the show we'll begin to break down the details and the corroboration of allegations in the Kenny Snow case. I want to keep you all up to date on where we're at with the investigation. The process that I'm going through right now is an attempt to corroborate the basic timeline of Kenny Snow's allegations. So far, I have not received any documentation from the FOIA request that I sent out in mid-December. I've received a response from the Parole Board Division telling me that I need to send my request to another division in the Texas Department of Corrections. And just yesterday, I received a response from the Tyler Police Department. In their response to my FOIA request, they claim that they have no documentation on Kenny Snow's case. I have to continue digging into this a little bit further and I have the Texas Tech School of Law working on this issue for me. It seems very odd that a crime that was committed in Tyler, Texas, investigated by the Tyler Police Department. The Tyler Police Department stated to the court that in 2002 they were the ones who destroyed the DNA evidence from the case. It just seems very odd to me that they would not possess any records involving a case that occurred and was investigated by the Tyler Police Department but in their letter they say that any documentation will be held with the Smith County Sheriff's Department. I do also have a request into the Smith County Sheriff's Department and have yet to receive any response from them at this point. Since I don't have any of the documentation that I need yet, I've started reaching out to the people involved in the case to see if I can pin down these timelines. What I can tell you at this point is that so far I've obtained a lot of information and a lot of dates and so far nothing has contradicted the story that Kenny Snow has told me. But we'll get into all those details next week. On this week's show, we have a special guest. What you're about to hear is an interview that I had with a man named Corey Session. Corey is the brother of a man named Tim Cole. Tim Cole was the first man in the country to be exonerated for a crime that he didn't commit after he died. Tim Cole died in prison in 1999 of a heart attack. He wasn't officially exonerated and subsequently pardoned by Governor Rick Perry until a decade later. Our guest, Corey Session, got involved with the Innocence Project of Texas while fighting for his brother's exoneration. Since then, he's stayed very involved in the Innocence Project, and he currently serves as the vice president of the Innocence Project of Texas. Tim and I had a long conversation about his brother's case, about the legal atmosphere in Texas. I got a lot of good background information from Corey. He's a very dynamic guy, and I think you'll really enjoy the interview. I will preface the interview by letting you know that our pre-interview kind of flowed into the actual interview. Corey and I started chatting about what we were going to talk about during the interview and immediately got engrossed in conversation, and the next thing we knew, it was 45 minutes into the conversation. So you may notice that the interview is a little less organized than my typical interviews, but that's just due to the fact that we were 45 minutes into the interview before I realized that We were indeed in the middle of the interview, but it's a great discussion and Corey is a great guy and he's offered to continue to help us with Kenny Snow's case as we go forward. So without further ado, here's the interview with the vice president of the Innocence Project of Texas, Corey Session. The guy's name is Kenneth Snow and several years back he had the Innocence Project get involved in this case because there was untested DNA. But the story that I'm getting was that the Tyler Police Department sent a letter to the judge or some sort of motion or response back to the court saying that they had destroyed the evidence in 2002 and it wasn't available anymore. And then there was another piece of evidence that was being housed with the Smith County Sheriff's Department, and they said that they just can't find it. And it's my understanding that the Innocence Project at that point kind of stepped away from the the case because there wasn't much else they could do. Mm Mm-hmm. As I'm in the very beginning stages of investigating this case, one thing that I found was that the letter, which I do have the letter or the um, the response from the court saying the Tyler Police Department destroyed the evidence in 2002, from my, and I'm not a lawyer, I'm an investigator, doing a little bit of quick research, I found that effective in 2001 From my understanding, the Texas state law says that if someone is out on community supervision and there's biological evidence that it has to be preserved until they're released from community supervision, which this particular person was, he was on his, his probation or community supervision was violated in 2004 and he was sentenced to 40 years in prison. And the evidence was destroyed in two thousand and two, which was after the law was in effect and before he was off supervision. Um, am I am I understanding that law correctly? For starters,
0: that is true. That they are supposed to preserve uh, all the evidence until uh, the final adjudication of the case, meaning the last appeal. All appeals have been exhausted, even if he's on probation, and then it's completed. It's supposed to be preserved for a certain amount of time, and then disposed stuff.
1: So what is, are there any legal remedies to that? When you have police agencies saying, oh, it was destroyed, the, the
0: biggest thing they come up with, which nobody can be held accountable, is, well, oh, it was destroyed in error. That's a cheap out, but there's no way to get them. Could it have been something nefarious. Of course it could have. Uh, Smith County did the same thing uh, in a case we're working, uh, down in tyler, a diamond tyler of a gentleman by the name of Kerry Max Cook.
1: Right. I've spoke with Carrie yeah. and, and read his book and it was, I found a lot, uh, the two cases have a lot of the same players involved. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. they're both of their, it was the same year. Both of them said their evidence was destroyed in 2002 by the Tyler Police Department. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, I guess it's frustrating for me because, you know, for me not being an attorney, I'm looking at it from a practical standpoint. It's like they, mm-hmm. You know, by violating that law, they violated, in my opinion, the civil rights of the, of the inmate because that's information they could use to prove their innocence. Now Absolutely.
0: what? Smith County has a, uh, has a reputation of being a good old boy system. Uh, we cover you, you cover me, where they cover each other. There have been some uh, exoneration out of Smith County. Uh, A.B. Butler, this gentleman, African American gentleman, older gentleman now. I like him. He is to say that, well, he was just slipped through the crack and was one that they couldn't catch, you know, and it got by him. And he was exonerated through DNA testing. They were attempting to destroy his evidence and thought they had it. Well, it no longer existed, but it was found and the uh, Court of Criminal Appeals ordered that it be tested. And he was released uh, a few years back. Smith County is rocked with uh
1: yeah, and i have Have you experienced or do you have any experience with Smith County regarding, you know, as far as the, the you know, I, I do this with several cases, and this is the most difficulty I've had trying to get documentations uh, out of that county. You know, for example, I had filed a FOIA request with the Tyler Police Department asking for any case file, detectives, notes, evidence, filings, anything that they have on this case. The aggravated assault charge that he was charged with occurred in Tyler, Texas. I have paperwork that I got from the inmate with the Tyler, Texas stamp on it. And they sent me a letter back a few days ago telling me that they have no information on that case whatsoever. Everything would be with Smith County. The only way that you are going to get the people of Smith County to do anything
0: is, unfortunately, you you would have to have the Justice Department go down there and raid Smith County the Sheriff's Department, the Tyler Police Department, and uh, sequester all of their uh, evidence. I mean, everything sequester, take over their department, just like they did in Ferguson, Missouri. And I'm serious about it. The FBI Justice Department investigated the Lubbock Police Department. And took a while, but when you say certain things to certain people, eventually, maybe a year or two later, they go and investigate. Well, the Lubbock Police Chief was uh, removed. The city manager was fired. Uh, The city manager also was brought up on charges of indecency with a minor, a a child. Their hiring practices were uh, justified, and this just happened this past spring. So until the FBI, uh, the FBI, the Justice Department goes to Smith County unannounced, it's going to be the same way. You have women. And men who've been working in the justice, in, in the, uh, Smith County police department, Smith County sheriff's department, Tyler police department for decades. When they retire, it goes, the job goes to their daughter or their son. And it's just covering up and covering up. And anyone looking from the outside is just that you're an outsider. What are you doing down here? Just say we don't have it. What are you going to do? And that's basically what happens. What are you going to do? That's unfortunate because, uh, there are people who have suffered for the deliberate abuse of power that has ha- taken place in Smith County. It, 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 uh, one of my roommates in college, he lived in Tyler, outside of Tyler, in a town called White House. And his family originally was from Houston. They, they moved there because of the oil industry. And, uh, he was in high school, he was right there, and he said, this is And He, and he said, this is the most racist damn town. There he is. And he said, I don't mean against black people. I mean against poor people. Period. Black, white, Hispanic, doesn't matter. You are thought to be guilty. Uh,
1: you are guilty. So, uh, you,
0: you don't have a chance in hell and sniffed out.
1: Well, that seems to be the case with Carrie Max Cook's case. I mean, the, even to this day, from the research I've done on it, Looks like pretty clearly the man that uh, that Linda Joe Edwards was having an affair with, you know, his DNA was found at the scene. Everything, and they're still they're
0: you know, still fighting it.
1: Yeah, they're still fighting yeah. it. And you know, David Dobbs, you know, was on record saying that you know they Terry Max Cook may be out, but you know at least he has this conviction that'll hang over his head for the rest of his life. They're still trying to, you know, to fix yeah, and they're trying to punish Cook who. It, from everything I can see, he had absolutely nothing to do with any of this. He never did anything wrong, and he's suffering the rest of his life for it. And that's one of the that's one of the things that got uh, my attention with this case I'm working right now. Is it's every you know the the people that the inmate that I'm dealing with now, Kenny Snow, is named in the accusations that he's made in his case are Jack Skeen, David Dobbs. It's all the same people that are involved in Kerry Max Cook's case.
0: Yeah, it's, it's the mentality of, uh, some narrow-minded officials who operate under the guise of justice by wearing a badge, by wearing, uh, the carrying the title of district attorney, county clerk, district clerk, down there. And, uh, that's just what happens. And it's, it happens not just in Texas, it happens in all, in all over the, these United States. But in your largest cities, you know, you have a bigger floating block, voting block. People will react. People will protest. People will go to the media. You know, everything is so closed-minded in those smaller jurisdictions. It's hard as hell. The same thing happened in Lubbock. Lubbock was a smaller town. He ran the, the Kemp's case. They had arrested a guy a week after my brother who had committed a rape the exact same way that my brother was charged with. Walked up to a car at night, and, and that was known to the public. Uh, walked up, the car down, asked for jumper cables, forced his way in for the night. And uh, turns out he had done another one. He had done two others after uh, my brother was accused. And and the thing is, they just said, Tim was it. To calm the fears of uh, the public up there, people were withdrawing their children from uh, Texas Tech University. And send them back home. It was, you know, a tech raided disease. And they nabbed him, you know. And he had a pristine record. Meanwhile, the person that they did arrest had already been convicted of aggravated rape when he was a juvenile in Lubbock. But they never put that guy in a lineup. And guess what? 25 years later, that's who it was—the person they arrested three days later after 10, the answer. They proved it. So they were cocky in their mis- in their belief that. Oh, yeah, we'll do DNA testing for Cole. We've done six others, and one more won't matter. But the DA said, well, we were just hoping that they would find the DNA, uh, find the rape kit for evidence. And when they told us that in January of 2008, we celebrated then. They didn't uh, release the results until five months later.
1: But <laughs> we well, already knew. Right. Well, now, your your brother had passed away in prison before he was exonerated, is that correct? Yes
0: he, he died in nineteen ninety nine. He had a massive heart attack at prison due to
1: complications from asthma. Okay, and then when was he finally exonerated? In
0: two
1: thousand nine. Okay and then pardoned
0: by the state in two thousand ten.
1: Okay, wow. So I so your um organization, the Innocence Project of Texas uh, you'll continue working these even after e- even after the inmate has passed away to clear their to clear their good name?
0: Yes. We're the only uh, my brother Tim I line up, it was the first posthumous exoneration, DNA exoneration in US history. So it it, it doesn't matter, uh, a person deserves uh redress and as my mother said, by no means is Tim the first, he's just the first to be recognized. Now worse, thousands have uh, died in prison will convicted.
1: How long was he in prison uh, before he passed away? Uh, Thirteen and a half.
0: Thirteen and a half years. It's one of those things I liken it to. You know, Tim was the American. He served in military. He was in college. My sister was in law school at the same college. And one of my older brothers was at Texas Tech. He was a sophomore. So three of them were up there. And you know, he did everything right. And then to die in prison, and nobody ever believes you. You know, the justice system failed them. But, you know, there's a 19-foot-tall relief and statue at the corner of 19th and University that is called the Tim Cole Statue. So it's a permanent reminder for the citizens of Lubbock <laughs> wow. uh, of what you did wrong. So it's just one of those deals. And uh, we, we were able, in Texas of all states, last September, year ago September, Two thousand and fourteen, when that statute was unveiled, we had the governor, Rick Perry, our current governor and Wendy Davis, several others all came to love in an election season. Those are hotly contested race, but they were all sitting on the same stage thirty days before the election to recognize that an innocent man had died in prison and we've got the six things in Texas. So that's a permanent reminder. <laughs> So well, they're, they're there isn't another statue in the United States of a wrongfully convicted person, but we got one in Texas.
1: <laughs> that's, and a big one, as as is the case usually in Texas. Mm, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With that being said, after that, what else is the Innocence Project working on other than working to get uh, these men and women out of prison that have been wrongfully convicted? Are you guys working on any legislation or anything to, to make some yeah, the innocent, changes? Yeah.
0: The Innocence Project is uh, one of the few that actually, uh, there are several organizations that get people out. But the Innocence Project, we have two goals. We'll get you out, we'll find out the reasons why you went in, and we'll go back to the legislature and try to get legislation passed, which we've had. We've changed eyewitness identification procedures in Texas, which is the root cause of the majority of wrongful convictions in the nation. So we have new, when this identification that we're responding, the Innocence Project of Texas is responsible for, we expanded the the DNA statute. Texas is the only state that, uh, you've heard of junk science before. Well, you can file a writ of habeas corpus saying, hey, the science that was used in my case, sale of the arson, is now considered junk science. I deserve redress and a, 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 a hearing based off of the new science that's now available. I was convicted on the old science. No other state has that type of grounds for you to file an appeal. So that was groundbreaking to get that type of expansion of the, uh, Ritz of habeas corpus in DNA statute. It's part of the DNA statute even though it has to do with forensic science. No other state does that. No other state, and there are thousands of people who've gone to jail for art and women. It wasn't arson <laughs> or right. gone to jail, gone to jail when it was actually shaken baby. And I mean, and it wasn't a shaken baby syndrome, you know, it was something else, but it's not just for arson. It's for any type of junk. Uh, arson just happened to be one of the main ones. So that opened up the doors for a lot of people right now. with the A-Nus Project. We're able to secure the release of four women out of San Antonio last year. Uh, these four women. Uh, in 2013, these four women were in there for supposedly sexually assaulting girls. And it was simply based off of the testimony of a nurse, an emergency room nurse, who had never worked sexual assault cases. And, of course, with uncovered evidence where the grandma- the paternal grandmother took the, one of the of the older child, to the detective the next day and the, made the little girl tell, you know, did this really happen? Oh, no, it didn't happen. My daddy said, blah, 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 blah. Well, that was withheld from the defense. So along with that and exploring, those four women were released. We're working on their full
1: exoneration as we speak. Is Texas a, a Brady state? The fact that they withheld that evidence, did that affect the... Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. yeah. It's, it, Texas is a, is a Brady state. If you have
0: any of the... Uh, we created the first conviction integrity unit. Uh was created here in Texas, you know, uh, with... Uh, Dallas uh, District Attorney's Office, Craig Watkins. Well, the guy who created that, uh, Mike Ware, is, is also an attorney here in Fort Worth. He created that commission. He's our legal director also now. He doesn't work for the District Attorney's Office back in private practice. He's worked on that case. So we work on uh, legislation as well. Right now, there's a uh, commission uh, which was set up uh, by the state this past uh, session back in May. It's called the Tim Cole Commission and uh studies wrong for conviction and makes recommendations for the legislation. And on that are Democrats, Republicans, uh judges on the Court of Criminal Appeals, uh, all working together to come up with legislation. And there's no other state doing that. We've got our 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 thumb on the scale finally.
1: So in in regards to the case that I'm working now a couple of questions. First of all, if if we think we have something here or or the course of my investigation I feel like there's a real possibility that this individual was wrongfully convicted, uh and in my cursory look at it at this point I think that's the case. How would we go about getting the Innocence Project involved and is that a possibility? Uh yeah, uh the easiest thing to do is
0: to go to the Innocence Project of Texas. Uh website and you can click on there It uh, tells you uh submit your case. I mean uh tell us about your case if you go that way. Or you know, you can call the office of <laughs> the law office of Mike Ware and get it done or call the law office of Gary Udishan here in, in Dallas. Uh, Gary is our president. I'm a non lawyer. They're the lawyers well, and yeah. have them look at
1: it. Gary is he's Kerry Max Cook's attorney, right? Yes. Okay. I think he's, well, I'm glad you said that because he's on my list to give a call back. He gave me a call yesterday to talk about the case. So that should be a good guy. I didn't realize he was the president of the Innocence Project. Um, I was yes, looking yes, for information yes, on yes. Tyler from him.
0: Yeah. Uh, Gary is extremely a high profile attorney and very talented attorney who has, uh, who he works closely with the Dallas DA's office in so far as keeping up the relationship that we need to have with the DA's office and so as the conviction integrity unit. To look at a case, because when we have a case and we take it to them, we have a relationship with them where they turn over all of the work products. The work product being every single thing that they have that the police department had on that case when that individual was tried and convicted. So when you go through that, those case files are a fine tooth home and you see, you know, these posted notes and the handwriting of the detective. Some of them saying, oh, he probably isn't innocent. Or you find a a note uh, from an inmate saying, hey, I lied, you know, I really didn't, I thought I was going to get some time off my deal. When you find little things in there that were never shared with the uh, defense, those are Brady violations. We're currently working a case right now of Dennis Allen and Stanley Mosey. They were exonerated. They they haven't been formally exonerated. They were let out of prison last year together on a... Case of a murder of a, a prominent Dallas pastor years ago. And in there, there's plenty of pretty violations. We were able to get the old prosecutor in the case who no longer works for Dallas County DA's office. Jerry had him on the witness stand to answer questions. Why didn't you turn this over? Well, I thought I did. Uh, I, I, I you know, no, you didn't. So, he, he's able to get some things done that rarely are seen or done in the exoneration process. Well,
1: another question I have, and and I think that's going to be a challenge in Kenny's case, is the fact that there was never a trial. You know what what he is alleging is he was picked up for two robberies, one being aggravated uh, that he says he didn't commit, had nothing to do with, and that he was approached in in the Smith County Jail by D.A. Dobbs and an FBI agent and asked to get a confession from another inmate, a man by the name of Edward Ates, who had had a few mistrials, I think two mistrials, on a murder charge. And he claims they threatened him that they were going to charge him or have him sentenced to 99 years in prison if he didn't do this and if he got a confession for them, then they'd let him off on probation. 18 months later... He did testify that Tez was convicted and he was released. You know, he pled guilty and got released. Yeah, then
0: yeah he was given uh, deferred adjudication, if I'm not correct on that. And that sounds probable because that's the exact same thing that uh, happened in this case with Mr. Mosey and Mr. Allen that uh, Gary is working. It was a jailhouse informant who was said, told he would, and he wrote letters to the uh, prosecutor. Uh, and the detective saying, "Hey, you guys said you know I would get this if I cooperated. well, those letters were never turned over to the defense so right well uh, in, in it, 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 it's quite often that prosecutors and detectives go and make try to make deals with uh jailhouse informants to get them to get someone you know to come testify. let me say that right against somebody so uh his probation was subsequently revoked in no case. Do you know why they revoked it?
1: They revoked it from what I, you know. I don't have the official documentation yet because they haven't been forthcoming with it. But according to Kenny, he it was revoked because he had left the state of Texas and he was out. Yeah, I guess without permission, which which you know that's a little odd to me too because his parole officer was also his boxing manager, and if you look at his boxing schedule for the few years that he was out, his boxing manager had him all over the country boxing. Um, But at some point, he had left and went back to live with his family in Ohio. He says that he had asked for permission to do that, and then they went and picked him up and sentenced him to 40 years. So, you know, I don't know how Brady plays into it. You know, all the typical things we can use to get somebody exonerated, I I don't know how much Mm -hmm. of that is going to be available to us because there was never a trial. You know, he he pled guilty. Well, he he would have had a
0: trial. He would have had to at least have gone before a judge. And, uh, a trial court, uh, meaning the judge gave him probation. Somebody gave him probation, and that's essentially a trial.
1: Okay. Even if he pled guilty?
0: Yeah, you, you, you plead guilty. In order to get probation, uh, or deferred adjudication, you have to plead guilty. And the, the deal is, once you plead guilty, uh, and the judge grants the plea of giving you deferred adjudication, you have to complete that probation. You complete that probation, then the sentence. The conviction is, is not a conviction, but it's right from your record. It's not a conviction at all. It's just like you were arrested for it, but it was dismissed, basically. It's okay. for So you have, you have to go before the trial judge. You go before the trial judge, then you can get uh, deferred adjudication, which is what he was given.
1: Okay. And is that... In his case, so his, his probation was violated and then he was sentenced.
0: Correct. And that's that's what it is. If you're if you don't if you mess up on your probation and it gets revoked, then you will serve the sentence. So there is okay, you do this, you don't complete this probation, then you can be sentenced to death. Okay. And you sign for all of that. But I think part of his deal is that he had been given probation previously. Because he was convicted of a felony and were given deferred adjudication probation was not offered to him back then. So he's like, okay, well, I didn't get it back then. Y'all should offer it to me then, but now you didn't. So he's, he's trying to, there, there, it's very hard to get, uh, your case reversed unless there's DNA <laughs> right now in, in most right. states. But, uh, there are trial court errors where uh, people are released. Uh, Given release based off of non DNA, there are non DNA cases we've done where the people have been solid.
1: Right, and that's the thing that is you know we talked a little bit earlier about the you know, the frustrating part is the fact that you know Kenny has claimed for all these years that that DNA that they said they had the blood stain from there was a mace can there was blood stain on a on concrete floor and on a sweatshirt and he's been screaming to get it tested. You know, it, it, it seems like he backed himself into a corner because he got locked up they offered him this deal he finally he goes he he testifies against this a guy he gets convicted so he gets let out then he's he either screws up or was backed into a corner I'm not sure how the you know I'm sure there's two different sides of that story of how he got his probation violated and now he's going back and saying this whole thing stemmed this probation all came from a crime that I never committed test the DNA and I yeah. can prove it, it and is
0: it, it and, and, and that that makes sense. If, if, if you got the DNA, I didn't do it anyway. So it doesn't matter what happened after. I didn't do this. And you have evidence. You can test it. to show I didn't do it. That's his best recourse. But if they're fans that it's destroyed, it's almost like the case was destroyed. You know, it, it, there have been times in County, Houston down there, County. Bayer County, these are large, you know, you're talking six, five, six million people in the county uh, where they said the evidence was lost or it was destroyed. And somehow it's in a closet somewhere deep, dark, and oh, somebody finds it. So there is uh, just in, what was it, 2011 state of Texas, we got a bill passed which mandated how biological evidence in the state of Texas must be cared for. Because you had a lot of it just in the closet, or a lot of it, you know, in the court clerk's trunk of her, you know, in her at her house. <laughs> that really happened. Oh, wow. So okay. no wonder it gets lost. And when you have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of cases with evidence, you don't have a locker big enough to put it. So. When the cases, I mean, years ago when these people were being convicted of uh, of, of these charges and things like that, most counties didn't, most uh, states and counties didn't destroy the evidence. They just put it in the room and left it in there. They knew it, it had to go through the appeals process. Well, the appeals process, there isn't somebody who follows the appeals process and gets a note to say, hey, all exhausted appeal, go find this evidence and destroy it. They don't do that. You're talking about regular county employees, hourly paid, They're not doing that.
1: Right. <laughs> and
0: uh, the only reason we uh, it came to the forefront is because when Craig Watkins took office in Dallas County, he received an order from the county to destroy some evidence. And he's like, destroy it? Where would you, why in the world would you do that? Says, no, we're not destroying any evidence. But, you know, some of this stuff could be, because we've got DNA. And that's when he said, you know, let's do a conviction and let, let's create something. Let's check all this. Let's Go ahead and check it. He checked it. There was a few. There was one, then two, then two. The next thing you know, there were 22 people that were exonerated under his watch in eight years.
1: From evidence that he was told to destroy.
0: Yeah, that he, that was, the county was requesting to destroy because, you know, it's just backed up, piled up in there. <laughs> we need to make some more room. All well, the reason the order was get was request. And he said, No, you're not doing that.
1: In these cases where you said sometimes, you know, you go in and start digging and you find that the evidence that they said was destroyed or that they can't find it, it's located. How does that process happen? You know, like if for Kenny Snow's case, you know, how how could we how could we make that happen and have somebody come in and and try to find it if the. You know, Smith County, because the Smith County Sheriff's Department has one piece of the evidence, uh, the uh a sweatshirt with a bloodstain on it, and they didn't say that it was destroyed. They just claimed that they couldn't find it.
0: Which is probably true, that they can't find it. And I kid you not, the judge in the case, the case is he sent to prison. The evidence is, you know, the court holds the evidence, you know, when there's a trial going on. Now, where does the court hold it? Not in the police storage or the sheriff's storage, you know, they have their own. The it's up to the judge, so I kid you not. <laughs> Some of the court clerks will keep in evidence in their home. We'll bring it back. Hey, you keep taking this on, I'll make sure nobody gets it. It's in a brown bag and it's at their home. Well, case is over with, it's still in a brown bag at her home and she dies and families clean out the house and hey, what's this? I'll throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> things actually happen like that, have happened like that.
1: Um, Uh, It's just sickening to me to not know that that goes on.
0: There there is no,
1: now there's a chain
0: of custody, you know, uh, electronics and everything, you know where something is, you know, that that they, the the state of Texas, same thing with the uh, Department of Public Safety, they had to come up with a way to categorize and maintain, because you can't you know, when you have a legislator or a senator inquiring about something that happened in Michigan, the DPS lab had it. you got to come up with a way to system to file this stuff. So uh, the DPS crime lab is kind of like the National Archives. Type in a number and a machine will go get it. <laughs> it's right. automated. They can, they can go find it. it I mean, it's that uh, well preserved and categorized and documented where it is. But in these small accounts, it was. There was no standardized process or procedure or best practices in place for preserving evidence in the state of Texas.
1: The law that we discussed earlier about the preservation of biological evidence, and it sounds to me from what I'm hearing that that law might as well not even be on the books because they can still go ahead and destroy it like they did in Terry Max Cook's case and in Kenny Snow's case and and they have no recourse or remedy.
0: Yeah, well, also, uh, part of that uh, law is that the biological evidence has to be preserved for, I believe it's 25 years after. 20 or 25 years. Say your case was done on appeal, all the way up to the Supreme Court here in Texas. Oh, and Court the Court, court of Appeals, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in, in New Orleans. Say it was all done. Well, okay. Well, it still needs to be preserved for 20 more years because there's a guy named Tim Cole, who died in 1999, and the city and uh, county of Lubbock just happened to have his evidence. If they didn't have that evidence, Tim Cole would not be exonerated, and the actual rapist who's in prison still with those other two rapes that happened the same way would not have been linked to the crime. So, because of technology, is ever advancing. Just because you can't prove it now does not mean you can't prove it twenty years from now.
1: That makes all perfect sense to me. What I just can't wrap my brain around is is the fact that if they don't follow that law, that they that the inmate or the defendant in the case just has no recourse. Recourse, yeah. I mean that they should be to me. Like I, you know, I mentioned earlier, I'm not an attorney. I'm just looking at it from a practicality standpoint. You know, if if you took away their by violating the law, you took away their method of proving their innocence, then they should be able to get a new trial. There should be something there that they can s- say, okay, fine, then try me without that evidence since you destroyed it and I can't fight with it, then why don't you try it without fighting with it as well? Exactly. Uh
0: And and, and that's your reason for a new trial because you have evidence that could potentially show you, meaning a DNA test, that you did not commit this crime. So most people, but if they find the evidence and it's tested, then you don't get a new trial. You go through an exoneration process to say you never should have been convicted in the first place. Right. And that's what you want. Uh, A new trial simply means, okay, well, even though it says it wasn't, you, you probably had something to do with it anyway, which does happen in some cases when the DNA has proven that that person is not the actual perpetrator. You've had, we've had prosecutors come back and say, well, that doesn't rule. doesn't mean he wasn't there. It just means the DNA wasn't. There. Well, dude, you convicted him on aggravated rape and you said it was him and there was no other perpetrator. So, you know, and you still have to fight those little battles like that because even though the prosecutor who is working the case now, nine times out of ten was not the prosecutor back then, it's that mentality. We don't convict anybody in a, uh, who shouldn't have been there. Uh, we don't wrongfully convict anybody. Yes, you do, but you still have
1: yeah, that's the exact case with Carrie Max Cook's case. You know, the the DNA is clearly showing who committed the rape, and that it had nothing and the murder and it had nothing to do with Carrie Max Cook. And yet, the DA's office is still insisting that that DNA doesn't mean anything. He's still guilty.
0: Exactly because that's their bias, that's their hatred of Mister Cook for whatever reason <laughs> that they just do not want to admit that they were wrong. That is, is is a problem when, when you when you do something and you were in error, you apologize for it. That's so. That's the hardest thing for people to do. I say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mr. Cook. He made a mistake. The evidence now shows that you did not. Now the actual DNA that it is. Where's that fellow? What are you saying to him? He just gets to go scot free?
1: Well, it sounds like in that case he he lived on the correct side of the track, so he's he seems to be be doing just fine. Exactly.
0: The advent of DNA testing was a godsend for a lot of people, but those people who were convicted of a gunshot residue—I mean, that's what we use the uh, expansion of uh, the junk science because gunshot residue is a lot of times as bite mark evidence. Considered junk science in a lot of cases now, so that's a huge deal. Those are those are people who are, there are people several uh, who have been convicted also of uh, fight mark. We had some that went better in prison for dog scent lineups. The dogs simply sniffed them and went and sat down beside them and said that no, that's all the, they needed to go to trial. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> which, you know, that's been debunked now because the FBI said there is no dog that can do that, that can tell you, right? You know, they put the sweatshirt or something from the victim in a can and the dog would sniff it and then run up and whoever they thought it was, the dog went and sat down beside him. That's your suspect. And, you know, that that makes no sense. So we kind of got that. I mean, there were several people sitting in the Harris County Jail five years ago. They saw dogs and lions after the innocent Project Detective Jeff Lightburn was instrumental in that. You know, we went down there. We had a few meetings and said, are we kidding? Scooby-Doo is on TV. It's not real. And they released those people. They were pending trial. They released them from jail. I mean, there were, there were like five of them, different cases, but really, sure. oh, you know, there's this uh, mentality of get them, convict them, put them away. I mean, Texas has a large population. There are 150-some-plus thousand people in Texas prisons, and uh, the Prosecutors' Association here in Texas says that the number that they give, not we give, the number they give says that there are probably uh, as, as many as 10% of the prison population in Texas are actually innocent. Mm -hmm. That's 15,000 people.
1: And that's the number they're giving.
0: Yeah, that's their number. And in Texas, since the 70s, the numbers that have been exonerated, wrongfully convicted, went to prison now, is only about 80. And you're talking about four decades. They're saying right now, current population, 10% of those people are innocent. We haven't even scratched the person.
1: Wow. Well, and it's not, it's such a difficult fight. Like, in your opinion, if, if if let's say hypothetically that all of these accusations that Ken Snow has made uh, regarding the you know the court's testimony and the and the deal and the fact that he never committed the crime, and do you see a case like his where they're saying the DNA evidence destroyed and he had pled guilty to the crime? Do you think it's possible that we can find any way to get him exonerated? Is there a method without having the DNA?
0: I definitely think it's possible because there have been several exonerations around this country, in Texas included, where people have pled guilty to a crime and have been later exonerated over it, where there is no doubt they did not do it. There have been plenty of cases where they said the evidence does not exist, and we found evidence, other evidence, or the amount of uh, biological evidence biological uh, sample that's on the evidence is too small to test. Well, guess what? DNA testing advanced quite a bit. So you can take the most minute of anything and test it and exclude someone or include. So there is a way you have Smith County is just one of the tough ones. Lubbock County, where my brother Tim Cole was convicted, was one of the tough ones. But we broke through in a big way. Smith County has just got to be one of those that is broken through. And when I say you you need the Justice Department in Smith County, it's not because of one case. It's because of several cases.
1: Well, well, yeah, Uh, in this this instance, because another question I was going to ask is, so there's Edward Atez, who was convicted of murder based on Kenny Snow's testimony, who Kenny Snow is, Openly admitting now that he perjured himself in, in when he can, excuse me, when he testified against him and that he did so mm-hmm. because he was persuaded to do so by the district attorney. That's, a, that's another case, you know, and I don't know, I haven't looked enough into that case to know whether, uh, Etez is innocent or guilty, but what I do know is that that, that trial was unfair and if that information was withheld from the, his defense, that Snow was you know, offered a deal in exchange for his testimony. I mean, that's a Brady violation, right? Yes, and that's exactly what
0: happened in the Mosey Allen case that Gary Udison is working on that we're trying to figure out. The guy said, no, there were no deals. So this long letter, you, this second letter, this third letter that this inmate sent you talking about a deal cut, you never gave him a deal. But, and ironically, guess what? After the guy testified, his charges was, <laughs> was dropped and his, and he was already on probation. So he had a probation revocation hearing. Well, the detective went and, and talked to his probation and they reinstated the guy's probation after he testified against these two gentlemen and they were convicted. So that's a Brady violation. You need to tell somebody and that, that, it, it's not a Smith County deal. It's a prosecution deal that they have these just like intense training or continuing education. Well, prosecutors do too. They go around the country and they meet. And they go, well, hey, this is what we do in our cases, what we've been doing. We've been doing this and this. Oh, really? Yeah, you're, you don't have to tell them. Oh, well, that was the mentality in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and early 2000. Well, you can't do it anymore. We got you. So we've got to uh break that mold, and prosecutors have got to get back into it. uh Excuse me i don't I don't like saying prosecutors that that's part of the job of the prosecutor. District attorneys have got to get back into the business of seeking justice amen not seeking not seeking conviction they've got to have the conviction to seek justice and not just want to seek conviction
1: You say it that way right well that's the um i I was doing an interview for a, a blogger last night and we had that exact conversation that the the fundamental issue in my opinion of the criminal justice system that we face right now is the fact that it's it's an adversarial system and the incentive for either side defense or prosecution is simply to win cases and not to find justice. A prosecutor is not awarded and promoted uh, or a district attorney because they found justice in a case. They're you know, they're based on their, their win loss records. And so they go exactly.
0: With. How many did you win? We sent such and such. Well, was it justice? I mean, uh, there's a big case here in Texas. Uh, you may have heard about it. They asked to win the team here in Fort Worth. Uh, getting, oh, yeah. That uh, couch. Did the family get justice of those victims? No. No, there was no justice in that whatsoever. So did the prosecution think that? And now here's the funny thing. The prosecutor in that case, is now saying, oh, we're going to do this. Whoa, 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 whoa. You agreed to that. I mean, the judge issued that. You, you could have, just because the judge says, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Just like the defense can appeal a, a judge's or court's decision, so can the prosecution in Texas. They can say that is not a just sentence to the appeals court. They didn't do that. They Now they're up and arms. We're going to do it. wasn't no, 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 no. You had, you didn't seek justice for the family, did you? Really do that kid any justice? The one who Ethan Couch who killed those people, no, he didn't get any justice. That kid needs to be in an intense rehabilitation program and serve some prison time. So you know, it, it goes different ways, and that's you not know, his parent uh, family is, is, is well off, and they spend a lot of money on the defense, which anybody would for their child, but it needs to be some repercussions and. Our prosecutors are just trying to put a notch in their belt. We had 500 convictions, but is it justice? Did you really get justice, or was the sentence you provided justice?
1: So, what do we do? Uh, You've you mentioned a couple of times that the Justice Department needs to come into Smith County for you know, because of a lot of these cases. How do we make because that happen? A pattern. How do we make that happen? Is it possible the to only, make it happen? they the, the
0: yes. Uh, typically it's gonna take someone, unfortunately, somebody usually has to die in order for it to be national attention. In the Sandra Bland case, again in Texas, woman pulled over by the, uh, Texas Department of Public Safety, arrested for a trial, even just a regular citation. She was taken to jail, next thing you know, she's found hanged in her jail cell. Well, <laughs> People have been quiet. this has been going but the media got involved. This has been going on for decades and decades. They treat us this way, this way, this way. We need Justice Department. Well, Justice Department actually here, though. And the media says, "What?" and they went in, they investigated, and they're like, okay, we really can't find anything, but we did make some recommendations to the police department on how they need to do things. That was one case. But until someone dies, same thing in love with. Guy named Tim Cole, he didn't die in milk, He died in prison, and people have been saying that insane, saying things about the love of police violence. Right? It's racist. It's this. And they cited them for their hiring practices, lack of minorities, lack of women. It was in there, you know. Uh, they didn't go through allegations of you know of, of abuse of power and things like that. But that's something you would need. You would need something that happened in Ferguson, and uh, I don't mean somebody being shot. But if someone did, you have to have it that way. Uh, but you need, uh, a major event in Smith County, and it may have to do with race. Because if a, uh, a white guy gets shot by the police, and it, you know, suspect, it's not gonna get busy, unfortunately, <laughs> it's not mm-hmm. going. To. It's gonna have to be some event where they will actually go in, or it'll have to be some sort of corruption scandal going on that leads them to look into something. It, it takes a who you know and uh, not a what you know or a major event to get the Justice Department to look into
1: something. Well, I'm hoping that you know, at the very least we can show or I can show through my podcast here, uh, You know, there's a large audience and a lot of people watching that we can at least show a pattern of what's happened in Smith County. I mean, I've looked at three exactly. cases. I've looked at three cases so far and three out of three there seems to be This pattern of manipulation and misconduct all in the same place, conducted by the same people, and those are the powers that be in that county. And something has to be done about it.
0: Yeah, and and see how long the district attorney's been there. And the previous district attorney, how long was he there? And the district attorney who's there now, where did he come from? Oh, he nine times out of ten worked for the old district attorney. You know? (laughs) Right one of those things. How long has the judge been there? Oh, well, the district attorney's is, brother is married to the, uh, sister is married to the judge. It's all kinds of things brought with. It It gives you the idea or the belief that there is something corrupt going on. And it is.
1: It's just a matter of proving. At some point, hopefully we can build enough of the case to, to prove the injustices that are happening in Smith County. I believe it's the last
0: stronghold Smaller counties, they operate... Texas is a, is a big state. And when you go from county... 254 counties. When you go from county to county, and these are large counties. These different counties in different parts of the state steps 800, 1,000 miles to the next major county. They operate like their own clan. Like they're their own... I don't know. <laughs> state. Like, you know, this yeah. is... It's a closed society. And that's just how it is. I mean, I wish Texas was smaller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A lot smaller. But uh, because it's hard to get out there to those things. Things that make the news in Smith County on the nightly news. Do not make the news in Dallas-Fort Worth. Do not make the news in Austin. 7 million people in Dallas-Fort Worth. There's 7 million in Houston area. San Antonio, there's 4 million. There's enough stuff happening like right there. So little things that make a big deal? Well the media listens, but it sticks right there.
1: Right. It doesn't yeah. go anywhere. Yeah, and it's Who are you
0: talking to? Yeah. The judge? The prosecutor? Oh well you Well know, they're related, don't you? Oh yeah damn. <laughs> right. you know the district clerk, uh who's in charge of retention of evidence? Oh well that's his great aunt. Yeah. It's really like that. Oh, I mean so it's it's like Mayberry. Not that you have a bumbling sheriff but you have uh the sheriff who's also the justice of the peace and this and that. Not that they are actually those wear that many hats, but family members of theirs. This is the guy I went. Through, we grew up together. We went to high school together and all kinds of things. It's, just, it's very hard. And that makes it even harder. And even when uh, you would think it carried back to the case, but, and the media has been all over it. Guess what? Nothing has happened yet. And to say the man is innocent, the end. He has been formally exonerated, waiting on the Court of Criminal Appeals to do that. But, you know, we got to go with kid gloves. And that's the hardest thing, the easiest way to get someone exonerated. Yeah, you need DNA. It is DNA testing. That'd be great. But to have the prosecutor sign off with the judge and with the defense saying this guy is just innocent and it goes to the Court of Criminal Appeals who ultimately makes the final decision. But if you got the defense saying, well, he's innocent, even though we got DNA, and then you got the prosecutor, you know, the court of criminal appeals looks at it and is going to listen to their argument why they think they feel guilty or shouldn't be exonerated. So, gotta play it with kid gloves, and then, you know, election time, if it's doing an election time or their campaign, oh, it's <laughs> just, you can't, can't move forward. You know, they'll just hold off. they oh, I don't want this in the paper. Well, I don't want this in the news. You just gotta wait. You know, they try to do, do it very quietly. There were exonerations before Craig Watkins came. One of them was Billy Smith. You know, you usually see these people walking out of jail and they're raising hands. and Billy Smith was in there 20 years. Well, he was, he got out once a year before Craig Watkins took office. Billy Smith walked out. He just signed the paper and then let him out of jail cell and say, you right. here's your paper where you're free to go. Bye. Been exonerated. Court of criminal appeals done. That was no big deal because they didn't want it known.
1: Right. Well, that's that's the major goal behind what I'm doing is to try to you know because I I get emails daily from people who want me to investigate certain wrongful conviction cases, and the ones that I try to focus on are the ones that, like you said, nobody knows about, and and we have mm-hmm. a not only a national but a global audience, and and to and to try to expose you know the things that are happening in. Smith County, or in Lubbock or you know that no one around outside of that area is aware of. No, that, that's exactly. p- that's part of what I do is to try to take those cases from those small areas where no one else from outside of there knows what's happening and expose it to the world and you know put a have a million people all from all over the place with eyes on it and they in you know my audience they start blogging about it and they start talking about it and it starts to pick up traction and the new, you know just like the i'm sure in, in your line of work you probably saw the making a murderer thing on netflix or at least heard about it
0: yeah mm-hmm.
1: no one cared about that case no one had heard about it until someone put it on you know on tv and expose it and then and now it's you know it's been, right.
0: exactly and uh the, the, you can t- i tell people here at the dallas cowboys football stadium i say I could fill it, it seats a hundred thousand people. I could fill it up seven days a week and tell with different audiences and tell the story of Tim and not a single one of them have ever heard of it. And they're right here in Dallas, Fort Worth.
1: Sure. I, I had never Tim. heard of him until I was specifically researching exonerees from Texas. Mm-hmm. You know, and I do this for a living. You have to seek out the information to find it. And that's, you know, and that's yeah, why Tim. we're doing what we're doing here.
0: Tim's case was, and there had been plenty of exonerations before, there had been plenty after, but none of them got the attention of the state of Texas until we realized, we showed them, hey, this guy died in prison. This guy, unlike a lot of the exonerees, didn't have a criminal record prior to prison. This guy was in college. Hey, this guy was a military veteran. Hey, this guy was just like you. Now, you became governor, you became this, you became that. We denied him this right, and he did nothing wrong. And look at the case. There was so many uh, things in there that's just like, well, how did we miss this? How did we miss this? How did we miss this? Well, to compensate the, 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 the country's most central, I'd say probably the world, I don't know that to be sure, but that is on the step, that is, a, on, that is law, the, the most generous compensation for the wrong she convicts is called the Tim Cole Act. Oh, uh, really? Yes. It, it was, uh, there had been a compensation before, but it was only $50,000 a year, maximum 10 years. When Tim passed away, after, uh, they found out about Tim, my mother, and you should, if you get a chance, to Google Ruby Cole's session. Or, I tell you what, there is a part of a documentary that is being worked, and guys filmed part of it, and there's a, an 11 minute video on YouTube. It's called the Tim Cole Slide Show, and it will go through Tim's case in eleven minutes. It'll show you video of him that you only would have ever heard about if you lived in Lubbock, and it'll show all the way up to him receiving our nation's first posthumous law degree. He received that last May because he wanted to go to law school, and Texas Tech gave it to him. The pardon ceremony with Terry. The historical marker that he's the only person in the country, I believe, who has a historical marker placed at his grave. The only one with a statue. But the compensation, that the Kim Cole Act, affords the wrongfully condemned, like we have a couple of people who've been in Texas who were in prison 31 within that 30 years. Well, just use the 30. guy who's in there, Cornelius Dupree, was in that 30 years. If you take the Kim Cole Compensation Act, it gives you $80,000 a year times the number of years you were in prison up front as a lump sum. So Cornelius Dupree was in there 30 years, so he got $2.4 million up front. Then it gives you a monthly annuity check on top of that the next year until you die. Cornelius Dupree receives $16,000 a month until he dies. On top of that, the $2.4 will we'll pay for college It'll pay for 120 hours at any state-funded college in any state. If you in Mississippi and you were wrongfully convicted in Texas, you want to go to the University of Mississippi, you go register, send Texas the bill, Texas pays for it. Wow! And it also also gives you uh, health insurance. No other state does that. That's what we were able to do with Kim Cole because we we were able to show all the naysayers do innocent people die in prison and, and, and I'd like to say that it had nothing to do I played a role, a lot of people played a role, the exonerees who were being exonerated at the time played a role, but nobody played a bigger role other than my mother, Ruby Session, who passed away one year a little over a year and a half ago uh, but she saw it all done because she wanted to see it and I, was, I think about it I was like a lot of mothers have people children in prison uh, who died of children, but nobody listens what in the hell made Rick Perry, Greg Abbott, we execute more people, put more people in prison, listen to her? It was just the right time, because she said, we weren't some broken home. We weren't some, you know, <laughs> all seven children of us. You know, we all went to college. We we minded our own business. And but that's it. But yeah, if you get a chance, watch the Kim Cole slideshow. 11 minutes, and that'll give be you a better idea. You'll see why we fight, and I've had some major blow ups in the media all around the state around uh, associated Press <laughs> in the other states uh, from them calling me in New York saying, "Hey, what in the world did you say to that lady? man But it's because you can't ever you can there is some and these guys who've been going for convictions can say, "Oh that's the worst thing in the world that ever happened, but the thing is every single one of them have gotten out of prison. Tim Bit. Right. That is the worst miscarriage of justice. You can think about prisoners of people who've been in Vietnam, who spent years there, who were maimed, broken, this and that. But if they got home, they had a chance. Tim never got another chance. And that's why we're so hard on the state of Texas. That's why I'm so hard because I've been talking about this since 1986 when he first went to prison. So I tell everybody, don't give up, stay focused. If you're talking and breathing, be thankful you have been blessed because it could be worse. And how, some have said, "How is that?" And I said, "Look up the name Tim Cole," and I've it with the initials T I M C O L E. And someone asked me, "What does Tim Cole stand for?" And I said, "It stands for the innocent man." convicted on lousy evidence. There are a lot of holes out there.
1: Alright, I hope all of you enjoyed the interview with Corey. I can tell you that I really, really enjoyed speaking with him. Corey has a ton of knowledge about the Texas criminal justice system, as you heard. And the discouraging part of our discussion is the realization that we are most definitely facing a very uphill battle with Kenny Snow's case. If Kenny is innocent, it's not going to be easy to get him out of prison. But the encouraging part of that is that it's not impossible. The Truth and Justice podcast, and more importantly, you, the Truth and Justice audience, are what's going to change this broken criminal justice system, not only in Smith County and not only in Texas, but in these United States. The reason that corrupt district attorneys and corrupt prosecutors and judges and law enforcement agencies are able to get away with injustices like this is because no one knows about them. Like Corey said, Tim Cole's exoneration was a groundbreaking case. It was something that has never been done before. He was an innocent man. A good man. An Army veteran who had moved on and was attending college, who wanted to be a lawyer, who was arrested and convicted of a crime that he didn't commit, and spent the rest of his life behind bars. And as important as Tim's case was, I'd be willing to bet that at least 99% of you listening today have never heard of it. This is where we draw our line in the sand. This is where we fight. We fight in the court of public opinion, and in doing so, we expose these corruptions. And I know that there are some people out there that get annoyed by the phraseology of the Truth and Justice Army. But I don't know of any other way to put it. This podcast is not about entertainment. It's not just something to listen to. I have been a mission-driven person my entire life. And taking the leap to doing this full-time was a decision that I made because I believe that this is a mission worth fighting. And you are all involved. The reason that we have the Texas Tech School of Law volunteering to help with legal research, we have members of the Innocence Project now on board to help us out, the reason that I've been able to make contact with the individuals that I haven't spoken about yet is all because of you. It's not just me. It's because we've all come together as one unit. We've joined arms and we're driving forward. So I don't know a better way to put it other than to call all of you the Truth and Justice Army. Because together, we are a force to be reckoned with. And together, our voices will be heard. And together, we will fight. Thank you to Johnny Rose of Slightly Subversive Music for creating all of the music for the show. Thank you to Tate Krupa for designing and creating our logo. Thank you to today's sponsors, Stamps.com and Squarespace. A special thanks to Corey Session for taking the time out of his busy schedule to come on the show today. And if you didn't catch it during the interview... You should all take a few minutes, 11 minutes to be exact, and get on YouTube and watch the Tim Cole slideshow. I did watch it after the interview, and it's really interesting. The first few minutes are just some music and photos of Tim when he was younger, and then the second half goes through the exoneration process. And the whole thing is just really inspirational, and you should check it out. As always, I want to thank all of you for downloading the episode, getting involved, and all of your continued support. If you haven't done so already, I'd ask that all of you take a few minutes and jump on iTunes and leave a review for the show. The larger the audience that we have, the more opportunities we have to affect change. By leaving reviews on iTunes, that makes us more visible in the iTunes charts. Please continue to talk about the Truth and Justice podcast on social media. Let's all work together to recruit as many people as possible into this audience. Every person we add is another set of eyes and another skill set to keep working for these men and women that may have been wrongfully convicted. Also, for any of you who are not on social media, you may not have heard that on March 5th in Baltimore, the Anansayed Legal Trust has put together a gala called A Night for Justice. This is an event that I will be attending as a guest of honor, Rabia Chaudhry, Susan Simpson, Colin Miller... Anand's lawyer, Justin Brown, will be there. Jim Trainum will be the keynote speaker. Michael A. Wood will be in attendance. This is a great opportunity to be able to meet all these people, enjoy a meal together, and listen to some phenomenal speakers. The event will be on March 5th in Baltimore at the Marriott Renaissance. If you're interested in attending, you can buy tickets at a anightforjustice.com. That's a anightforjustice.com. And hopefully I'll see a lot of you there. As always, you can keep up to date with what's going on in the case by following me on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. You can also follow me on our Facebook page, Truth and Justice with Bob Ruff. Keep sending in all of your thoughts, theories, and ideas to theories at TruthAndJusticePod.com. And if you have a new case that you would like me to look into, send that information to cases at com. I look forward to hearing from all of you, but as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And this has been Truth and Justice.